Today's Your Stories is sponsored by Busy Beaver Button Company. In lieu of an ad, they asked us to play this song. One, two, three, four. Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, Comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hey everybody, I'm Eric Arnault, and this is the Nerdalogs Presents Your Story's Best of 2016 podcast. About six weeks ago, we asked our listeners to tell us their favorite stories from the past year of podcast, technically from November 2015 to October 2016, and we compiled the results and put this bad boy together. All of the stories you're about to hear were the favorites of multiple people, and they are all super great. Um, but before we get to the stories, of course, we have to do some music. And we're going to kick off with a few songs that spotlight the pipes of Becca Brown, the newest member of our musical entourage and an incredibly talented woman. Here are a couple tracks from Taylor Swift and Boys to Men that the whole gang get to add their vocals to. Uh, it's definitely some of the most fun and successful musical performances we've had this year. Which is the more fun version? Because baby, now we got bad luck. You know we used to be mad love. So take a look what you done. So baby, now we got bad blood. Hey, I can't take it back. Look where I'm at. We was OD like DOC. Remember that? My TLC was quite OD. I be my facts. Now POV of you and me similar. I I don't hate you, but I hate you. Critique overrate you. These beats of a dark heart use baselines to replace you. Take time and erase you. Love don't hear no more. No, I don't fear no more. But he can respect it quite sincere no more. Hey. Remember when you tried to write me off 
Remember when you thought I'd take a loss? Don't you remember you thought that I would need you? Follow procedure, remember? Oh wait, you got amnesia? It was my system for battle wounds, battle scars, body bump, brute stabbed in the back, brimstone fire jumping through. Still all my life, I got money and power, and you gotta live with the bad blood now. But you never let it go Yeah, bandits don't fix bullet holes You say sorry just for show You live like that, you live with ghosts If you love like that
girl, I'm here for you. All those times at night when you just hurt me and just run out with that other fella, baby, I knew about it. I just didn't care. You just don't understand how much I love you, do you, girl? I'm here for you. I'm not out to go out and cheat on you all night, just like you did, baby, but that's all right. Hey, I love you anyway. And I'm still gonna be here for you, girl. Until my dying day, baby. Right now I'm just in so much pain, baby. Cause you just won't come back to me. Just come back to me. Yes, my heart is lonely, baby. My heart hurts, baby. Yes, I feel pain too. Baby, please. Our first story comes from founding Nerdalogs member Chris Geiger. Back in May, we recorded your stories on Dwight's birthday, and Dwight handpicked the speaker list for the evening. Uh, Chris was on that list, and he told this hilarious story, uh, kind of in tribute to Dwight's very particular taste buds. Uh, it really feels like Dwight's hatred of vegetables has become one of his like iconic characteristics. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and attribute that to the power of Chris's great piece. Okay, so it's been a long time since I've done one of these, but I'm happy to shake off the rust for a story since Dwight demanded it. I live to serve Dwight's wishes. It is my one true lot in life, and I'm happy to oblige. Uh, now, as the, uh, the theme he said is your story, and that's supposed to talk about me, uh, to which I say, tough titty, I will talk about you. <laughs> uh, so last summer, uh, the Nerdalogs attended PAX Prime to do a few shows and sell some copies of Fisticuffs, and Dwight got to go uh, with us as part of the crew. And in this trip, I had one of the most mystifying moments of human interaction. <laughs> a moment that still keeps me up at night from time to time. To tell it simply, Dwight doesn't like vegetables. <laughs> now, this is probably known to most of you, but to our podcast listeners, that may not be the case. Now, I want to clarify, when I say Dwight doesn't like vegetables... I don't mean he doesn't just like broccoli or the unfun vegetables that you get with dinner and eat in order to have a well-rounded meal. No, I mean all vegetables in almost all forms. And this information didn't really dawn on me until well into our trip to PAX. See, we had picked up some food for everyone. And as a pal does, I picked up a burrito for Dwight at Cadoba, or, or was it Moe's? The story's falling apart already. <laughs> And while there, I opted for a basic burrito for Dwight because I didn't want to presume, you know. And so I, 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 I believe I got like a steak and rice, you know, beans, cheese, and salsa. Pretty standard burrito order, nothing fancy. Now, upon delivering it to Dwight, he took a bite and immediately recoiled. <laughs> now, to be perfectly fair to my friend, he was not ungrateful for the meal and was very nice about the whole thing. 
And when he recoiled, I immediately thought, oh, I shouldn't have gotten cheese on it. Because that's the thing people get upset about. And when I asked if it was okay, he responded, word for word, yuck. I hate vegetables. Like a, like a five-year-old boy. <laughs> but I didn't get vegetables on it, I protested. And, rejoined, and, and then he rejoined with, there's salsa on it. My mind boggled. <laughs> salsa? Salsa. The most basic of Mexican condiments. Salsa. His explanations were quick and revelatory. He didn't like the texture nor taste of any vegetable. Even when diced, as fine as those veggies in his salsa. <laughs> and thus I grilled him as one would a nice tin foil of onions and peppers with a little olive oil and seasoning on, on which vegetables he could eat. To which he responded, none of them. And then later amended, some potatoes. <laughs> To this day, I cannot truck with that fact. It keeps me up at night. I think Dwight may be one of the few decided pure carnivores in existence. And only when I think, and, and only when I think of him as an inverse vegetarian or vegan does my mind finally settle down to a place where I can doze off peacefully. <laughs> now, however, uh, in theme of, this, of the night, so I've gone through a lot of life changes recently, which I won't get into because why torture you with the same maudlin energy of a teenager's journal? But with any life change comes a massive amount of self-reflection, sometimes guided, sometimes, you know, not. And it's hard to talk about anything other than that while you're performing emotional triage, and for that I apologize. See, the thing about life changes is that they make you question everything. What decisions have I made to get me here? And what decisions do I need to make going forward? What does this mean? What does that mean? And so on. And there are very few constants. I like barbecue, for example, and always will. So there's one thing I don't need to question. Well, I'll always love Spider-Man and Star Wars. Bama football and Cubs baseball. Sunny days and clear beaches. Those are things that I'm confident in. Those are constants. And for Dwight... He has at least one constant. I hate vegetables. And I'm not going to lie. While I've been building my legs back up from under me, on more than a few occasions, I have thought back to that interaction with a sense of respect that I likely did not offer to him at the time. <laughs> he had figured his constant out. And that confidence has helped me decide that there are co constants that are true to me no matter what, that are worth holding on to, no matter what someone may think. There are so many things that make you uniquely you. And for Dwight, his uniqueness goes well beyond his stance on our leafy foodstuffs. And what makes him the wonderful person he is will never be determined by the greens he chooses to pass over. But when it comes down to this, comes down to it, his sincerity about his taste is enviable. And I hope one day I'm able to look at my own constants without the same lingering questions and just accept them for what they are. So happy birthday, Dwight. I hope no one got you carrot cake. <laughs>
Up next, we've got a piece from a relative newcomer to the show, Bill Bullock, an incredibly talented Chicago stand-up. Uh, this is a really thoughtful, reflective piece from our annual fan fiction episode that takes a more personal look at the idea of fan fiction. Uh, nominating this as one of his favorites, friend of the show Brandon Kirkman noted its impressive vulnerability, and I totally agree. Uh, this is a really raw thing to take on for a first Your Stories piece, and it's really great. So that was like, that last story was like, pretty cool, it was like about fan fiction and stuff, and this is about a girl. Uh, <laughs> so this is called Fan Fiction, or How It Should Have Ended. Uh, you're laughing a lot more than you're going to be. Um, <laughs> all right. In my version of the story, you would have told me everything. You wouldn't have been so afraid of me that you couldn't tell me how you were actually feeling. You wouldn't have been the type of per- I wouldn't have been the type of person that scared you into your emotional turtle shell. I wouldn't have had to find out the things that you discovered, the things that you were missing, the things that you desired from my roommate's girlfriend who you felt more comfortable telling things about you than you did telling me. In my version of the story, when your mother pulled me aside at your sister's wedding, what she would have said was, you two are next, right? Instead of what she actually said, which is, don't fuck up my daughter's life. Uh, She wouldn't have said, hey, I think it's weird that you're not close to your family. I think that's a red flag. In my version of the story, she wouldn't have said that because she would have remembered that her husband walked out on her and she was in a broken family and that's really weird for her to call me out on that and kind of racist, but whatever. Uh, In my version of the story, your dad wouldn't have walked out. But then maybe you wouldn't have been in Chicago and we wouldn't have met, so maybe not. But anyway, fuck him. He's an asshole. In my version of the story, we wouldn't have broken up and gotten back together and broken up and gotten back together and broken up and gotten back together, and broken up, and then continued fucking each other all the time like we weren't back together. We wouldn't have continued fucking when we were broken up. Yeah, we would have. That's my version of the story. We definitely would have continued fucking. (laughs) We'd probably still be fucking. Like, we would be fucking right now. I wouldn't be telling this. But what we wouldn't have done in my version of the story is all the terrible shit we did in addition to each other while we were fucking. We wouldn't have had that time when you called me over to your house to have sex with you and I could tell something was wrong from the moment I got there and then I could smell something was wrong and then I could taste something was wrong and I could feel something was wrong when I pulled out the little red hairs in my mouth and you're blonde and I'm black so what the fuck, man? I wouldn't have noticed that you had fucked somebody else that same day and you wouldn't have said, oh, when I called you on it. You might have taken a shower beforehand, maybe. I don't know, because I don't care. I was fucking other people, too. But, like, you know, I didn't need to know. I didn't need to know about it. I didn't need to know about it. You could have taken a shower. And also, like, if you didn't have enough time to take a shower, like, you could have asked me, like, hey, do you know it would be really hot if we took a shower together? Because I'm dumb. Men are dumb, like they said. I would never have figured it out. You know what I mean? (laughs) In my version of the story, after the first time we ended, and we got back together and I told you that I didn't want to start again unless this was going to be it for us. That would have been it for us. That would have been forever forever for us. In my version of the story, that's what it would have been. In my version, you would have been happy. Truly, unequivocally happy. But in the real version of the story, I hope you are too. Even if I've been written out of it, even if I eventually have to write you out of my story... I hope it ends with you happy. That's how I hope it ends. (laughs) 
So every once in a while, we get folks from Chicago storytelling scene to come to the show, and that was the case back in April when the wonderful Scott Whitehair partnered with us for a great night based on the theme I Thought I Knew. This is Scott's own story from that night, a piece about family relationships that should really ring true for a lot of people this holiday season, I imagine. Uh, The lovely Benjamin Rathert had this to say when nominating Scott's piece. We don't often think about who our parents were before they had us, but I loved this story for Scott's daring the connection with his father over it. We think you'll love it too. My dad's not the kind of guy that you would expect to see turn a cartwheel from joy. But I wanted a little bit more from him. Uh, I should have known better. He was about a st- he was like a bourbon drinking statue. He was beyond stoic. Um, when he got out of high school when he was 18, he went right into the Navy. When he got out of the Navy, he went right into the steel mills in, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where he planned to spend his career. And when the mills shut down unexpectedly and spit those guys out into the city, he did whatever he could, maintenance work, uh, hard manual labor, whatever he needed to do to make a living and take care of his family. It was no nonsense. But still, I wanted a little bit more of a reaction from him when I got him a gift. Because I'm the opposite of my dad. I'm like ultra emotional. Like I saw a parade in Austin two weeks ago and I shed a tear and I went, God, it's so beautiful. People just walking down the street. It's really great. So look at everybody. That's a tuba. Um, so I would try with my dad as much as I could. And at Christmas, like the, the one Christmas, I got him a CD of mountain music uh, that I researched to find songs that we came from, uh, like where my family came from, West Virginia. Uh, and even some songs were on there uh, that my grandfather used to play on guitar I'd heard. So I wrap it up and I give it to him. And I'm like, here you go. He unwraps it. And he raises his eyebrows and nods. I'm like, all right, I gotta try again. So uh, I got him the next year. I found on eBay, and this was before these things were available, uh, commercially, I found all of the Steelers Super Bowl runs uh, and all the Super Bowl games, the telecasts, on DVD. I wrap it up. I give it to him. and wraps it. Eyebrows and a nod. Ah, the next year, I find a stock certificate from the mill that he worked most of his life in. And I had it framed and matted, and I'm like, here we go. I give it to him. Unwraps it. Eyebrows and a nod. When other people came over that Christmas, they're like, oh my God, Tom, that's great. He's sitting there with the whiskey. He's like, yeah. <laughs> I know he appreciated things, but he just, just, I couldn't get a reaction. Finally, I got to the point, I'm like, Dad, what would make you excited? What kind of gift would you enjoy? And he goes, socks. <laughs> Which he wore them a lot, so yeah. Um, so I kept trying, and I kept trying. Um, now, in 2009, I had lived in Chicago for a few years. My family, my mom and my dad, were coming to visit. And this was exciting for a few reasons. One, uh, they don't really like to go anywhere because they don't like to ever have their car parked further than, like, a block away where they can, like, see and touch it. It's not even a nice car. They just need to know where it's at. <laughs> and so they were coming to Chicago. And the, the second thing was I, I thought this is a great chance to show them why I love this city because they never fully understood why I moved. Like, what did we not have in Lower Borough, Pennsylvania? That somebody would need. I mean, we didn't have a Red Lobster, and people were in town were upset about that. <laughs> but you could drive 20 minutes to Monroeville and go get endless shrimp if you wanted. <laughs> and third, I thought, here's a chance to um, show my, my dad, uh, you know, maybe it wasn't a gift. Maybe it was an experience. Maybe I need to try it out and get a reaction out of an experience. So I thought I can wrap all these th- those two things together, the experience, uh, my experience in Chicago, and, and give him an experience and maybe get a reaction. So I start looking right away, 
And, uh, you know, friends give me suggestions. One's like, oh, King Spa, the Korean spa in Niles. And I just had this vision of my dad sitting in, like, shorts and a T-shirt, eating kimchi in a gold pyramid sauna room. And I'm like, oh, no. No. That'll get me murdered. Uh, and then I, and someone's like, oh, t- uh, tapas. Tapas, that's an experience. He's never. And I, I thought, you do not bring... Pittsburgh steel mill worker, $9 plate of olives. This is not going to go over. So I'm looking. I can't find anything. And finally, one day, I open up the Chicago Reader, and there it is. The Music Box Theater is having the sing-along sound of music. Yes. And right when I saw it, I thought, oh, I remember. My dad loved to punish us any number of ways. But his favorite thing to threaten was, if you guys don't settle down, quit, quit messing around. I'd sit you down and make you watch The Sound of Music with me. <laughs> I had never seen it. I'd never seen him watch it. But this was like a constant threat. And when I saw this, I didn't have any other ideas. And I thought, maybe he really likes it. So I call up my mom, because I'm not really sure. And my mom, uh, the conversation started, every conversation starts with my mom this way. She, she talks for 15 minutes about what she bought at Costco and how things are going at Curves. Um, and, and then finally, we can get to, to the thing. And I'm like, Mom, this... Does dad, does he really like the sound of music? And my mom, who's been with him for like 40 years, goes, I don't know. (laughs) And I'm like, mom, I really, this is really important. Does dad like the movie, The Sound of Music? Can you remember anything? She goes, hmm, not sure. These muffins at Costco, they were only like $14. I'm like, okay, all right. So I have no ideas, and I'm like, I'm going to try this. Because he mentioned so many times, it's an experience. It'll be different for him, for sure. And so they come to town, and the, the afternoon they're there at first is, is great. We're having a good time just catching up. Except every five minutes, they like go over and pull open the blinds to make sure their car is still on the street. <laughs> but we get through the day, and that night, we have dinner, and, and I'm like, I have something special planned. And we get in a cab, and we drive over to the music box. And you guys know the music box? Yeah. It's a great restored theater in Chicago. We pull up. It's marquee's beautiful. Get out of the cab, and I just I do this. My dad looks at Sound of Music sing-along. He raises his eyebrows and nods. And I think, oh, fuck. I have really met. I'm like, what have I done? This was stupid. I'm like, that's what he threatened to torture us with. Now I'm going to do that to him. And I'm like, oh, and I can't even look at him. We're like on a, I'm like, well, let's go in. So I'm like keeping him on my periphery. I don't want to look at him. We fight our way. The lobby is really crowded because everyone's excited. I pay for the tickets. He tries. I'm like, no, no, I got this. Um, and I'm just keeping, I can't look at him because I'm like, I don't want to see his face right now. This is going to be horrible. So we go into the theater. It's cra- There's a costume contest. So people are, are wearing costumes and we, we sit down on an aisle. My dad has a bad knee and I, I, I still can't look at him. So I talk to my mom. My mom, uh, all she can say is, there are a lot of nuns here. And I'm like, yeah, mom, the, the movie. And she's like, there are a lot of nuns. I'm like, okay. So the lights go down. The, the, the movie starts. There's Julie Andrews. The hills are alive. The sound of music. And I still can't look. And the ball's starting to bounce. And I'm like, all right. At this point, I'm glad I brought a flask of whiskey with me so I can, like, mentally escape. Um, so I'm patting my pocket, and, and finally I think, I've got to look over. I just got to take my medicine and see what I've done to this poor man. When I look over, tears are streaming down my dad's cheeks. For the next three hours, 
this stoic man, this Pittsburgh steel mill worker, sang every word to every song in The Sound of Music. He was just sitting there, he's like, go, a dear, a female dear. Every song. And I saw this and I got excited. I pulled out the whiskey. Now it's celebratory whiskey. And we're like, we're, we're like Edelweissing it up back and forth. We're like, yeah, you know, and throwing stuff. They had props and everything. And it, it was, it was great. Uh, and when the family on screen, uh, was making their escape, we had to escape the music box. So we said so long, farewell, adieu, uh, Wiedersen to the music box and got into a cab. Now, when we got to my apartment, my mom was worn out from her nun spotting, and she's like, I'm going to bed. <laughs> so it was just my dad and I, and I went to the fridge, and I got beers. I got him a Coors Light that he brought along from Pittsburgh. <laughs> and I got myself a microbrew that was, like, made with coriander and orange peels. <laughs> hey, look, here we go. So we sit on the couch, and uh, Jay Leto's on, and it's not my choice, but and the volume's down. We're just kind of staring at the TV, and we're sitting there for a while. We drink our beers, and, and finally, all right, so I go to get up. I'm like, good night, Dad. I start to walk away, and he says, when I was in the Navy, stationed in San Diego, so furthest away I'd ever been from home, I didn't know anybody. He said, but any time I could get off base, I went down the street to this little movie theater and watched The Sound of Music. I must have seen it a couple dozen times. And it always just made me, made me feel better. I didn't know what to say to that, so I kind of stood there for a second. I started then back to my bedroom, but in the doorway I stopped and I said, so dad, was, was that okay? And he raised his eyebrows and nodded. <laughs> but it was more than enough. Matt Young has told some banging pieces on your stories, and his entry on this year's Best Of, uh, reflecting on his career in Chicago comedy, is definitely no exception. Matt is such a thoughtful, wise dude, and what he has to say here should prove valuable for pretty much everybody, whether they work in a creative field or not. Thanks for sharing this with us, Matt. I moved to Chicago in 1997. I started classes in the Chicago comedy community in 2001. The years in between were rough years. I'd just gotten out of college. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what I was doing. I'd done some theater, but nothing was clicking. Actually, let me back up. The years between 1974 and 2001 were the fucking worst. I was 27 years old. In those 27 years, every single one of them sucked. I spent 17 of them in Decatur, Illinois, which you've never... If you've never been to Decatur, Illinois, please do not bother. (laughs) Everything had gone wrong. I was special. I was important. I mattered. I was smarter than everyone in school. I was more charming than everyone in school. I was in special ed classes. uh, Not special ed classes. I was in the, uh, (laughs) I was in the gifted classes, the special for special kids. Maybe I was in special ed classes now that I think about it. It was all a lie. (laughs) And in 2001, I went to New York. I visited my friend Mike. 
spent uh, about a week there. And one day I went to uh, 30 Rockefeller Center and I was like, I'm going to try to see Conan. He's still on NBC. Can't get tickets because I didn't know you had to like figure that out beforehand. <laughs> so I spent a couple hours waiting for him to get out of work in the in the gift shop. And while I'm there, they're playing Saturday Night Live uh, on the TV, like this best of Saturday Night Live stuff. And I'm like, that's what I always wanted to do. I grew up loving my Python, SNL, Laugh-In, Kids in the Hall. Like, I was a comedy guy, and I came back, and I signed up for classes. Encounter number one. It's the I.O. 25th anniversary party, which took place, of course, in 2006, 23 years after I.O. opened. At this point, I had been in a, at that time, long-running show from 2003 to 2006 called World News Tonight, and it was one of the most successful shows of the theater. So, of course, we were not asked to be a participant in this event. <laughs> but I was invited to the after party. That's a nice little thing, right? So I do my regular show at 8 p.m. Uh, at the theater. Uh, the actual event is happening downtown in the Chicago Theater. And I go to this party. It, uh, there's a whole debacle around it you can look up if you're interested. But the party started very late. Uh, that's not what this story is about. Uh, this story is about all the people I met that night. <laughs> <laughs> I met Andy Dick. And Andy Dick is exactly who you think he is. He came into the bar like a fucking... Uh, shot of bullet out of a shotgun uh, and just like it was a, mo a monster he just like made everything awful immediately <laughs> I sat at a table with one of my heroes I love cheers I sat at a table with George Went we both ate wings and did not look at each other <laughs> Back then, I knew uh, Jordan Klepper and Seth Whiteberg. Jordan Klepper is now on The Daily Show. He's also in World News Tonight with me. Uh, Seth Whiteberg is one of the writers for Drunk History. Uh, they were not famous then. And uh, they sat at a table with me and said, we have to go talk to Mike Myers. And, and uh, he's sitting right there. We have to go over to him. I'm like, well, he's talking to Tim Meadows. It seems like they're like in a conversation. Let's just leave them alone. But Jordan and Seth, and I think maybe uh, some couple other people, went over there and said hello to them and chatted to them for, for a second. And they're famous now, and I'm not. So there you go. <laughs> Amy Poehler invited us all up to her uh, her room at the hotel that the bar was in for an after party. The party was wrapping up, and it's like, look, everyone's going to Amy's room. Everyone's going to Amy's room. And I, we, as the group of people I was with, we went to this party in this hotel room, and um, you suddenly realize you're at someone else's reunion. <laughs> it's like you are went to the Holiday Inn and like, you know, uh, bumfuck Iowa, and it's like, oh, these people who were friends in the 80s and 90s when they were doing comedy together here are having their reunion, and I'm crashing it, so we stayed for about five minutes. Uh, but she's not that tall. <laughs> it's 2009, encounter number two. I've been doing comedy now for eight years. For the last eight years, I'm moving to L.A. in two years. Every year. 
because I'm special. I was in the gifted classes. I'm the funniest. I'm the best. I should be on TV. I should be in movies. Everyone loves me. So what the fuck is going on? But I have all these nerdy tendencies too. And this was the only celebrity that I ever met that actually made me nervous. I went to C2E2. I stood in line. I paid. I'm not sure either. Um, I stood in line. I, I paid to get an autograph from Kevin Conroy. Now, some of you have no idea who that is. And the ones of you who do know, know he is fucking Batman. Batman the Animated Series. Batman Beyond. Justice League. Justice League Unlimited. That just this week on io9 was pointed out as being the greatest superhero story ever told in the television medium. Because it's that fucking good. I walked up to him. I'm special. I'm important. I need to have a connection with him, right? So I see him and I, 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 I go, hello, it's, it's great to meet you. I'm a huge fan. He goes, oh, who am I signing it to? And I go, Matt, my name's Matt. <laughs> I'm, I'm also an actor. <laughs> <laughs> to which he says, oh, really? He looks up and actually makes eye contact with me. And I'm like, I did it. <laughs> and he goes, is there a lot of work here in Chicago? And I go, <laughs> And then I took my head and slunk away. Encounter number three. I have been a member of the improvised Shakespeare company for the last few years. And in that course of time, uh, they have started doing shows with Patrick Stewart, uh, who, if you aren't familiar with Patrick Stewart, get the fuck out of here. He was doing a show with them in Chicago. I was not in this show, but my friend, at risk of losing his job with the Improvised Shakespeare Company, told me about it. Told me I could tell nobody. I did not even tell the cast of the Improvised Star Trek that is here tonight until an hour beforehand. I texted him. I go, get to the fucking I.O. Theater tonight. Because I knew that the shit was going to go down if I let the cat out of the bag. I mean, we would have all just been fucking fired. After the show, which was amazing, he's a fucking delight on stage. He's 83 years old and just full of life and energy and can move and is funny uh, because he found this joy in this thing that he never thought he would do. I go backstage. I see my friend Ross, who's just recently moved to L.A., and I give him a hug. I see Martin, my friend who let the cat out of the bag for me. I say hi to him, and then I see him over here, just to my right. He's buttoning up his shirt, and I walk over. And using the knowledge I had looked up before the night before on the internet, I said, because I wanted to be sure how to address a knight of the realm, I said, Sir Patrick, thank you so much. That was an amazing show. You're, thank you. I'm a huge fan. And he said, Oh, uh, thank you very much. And he immediately turned around and looked away from me. And I, I was crushed. I, I was blown away. I was like, uh, no, he has to look at me. I'm special. I'm important. I matter. I'm going to be on TV and I'm going to be famous and everyone's going to know me and love me. And, um, my friend Martin goes, Oh, actually, Patrick, this is, uh, this is Matt. He's another member of the, of the company. And he turned around and his wall dropped 
And I realized that's what it means to be famous. When someone you don't know and you don't know what they're doing comes up to you, you have to immediately put up a wall because you don't know what they're after. You don't know what they're doing. Do they have a knife? And he turned around 180 degrees. He was like, oh, Matthew, it was wonderful to meet you, blah, 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 blah. And I chatted with him for a second, a hot second, barely talked to him. But it was great. But I realized then what a terrible thing it must be to have to be that guarded every second of your life. Right now, it's 2015. And the 14 years between 2001 and 2015 have gone by in the blink of an eye. Whereas those years between 74 and 2001 were an excruciating, horrible mess. Because in those 14 years, I've been able to do the most wonderful things with talented, beautiful, funny, great people. And none of them were the people I talked about tonight. Because being famous doesn't make you great. It doesn't make you important. It doesn't make you special. You're just a person. What does make you special is learning to slow down and be grateful for the things that you have and the things that are around you and the people that are around you and loving them with all your heart and putting all of your heart into them. And that is why the last 14 years have gone by so fast. I am now 41 instead of 27. And I fear how fast the rest of it will go. I'm never going to be on TV. I don't care about that. It doesn't matter. I'm important and special in my own way here right now with the people that are around me. So the next time you're frustrated or upset that you aren't where you're supposed to be, check, look around you because you probably already are. Thank you. Mike Gifford is one of the most explosive storytellers we know, but this story stands out above the rest. Nerdalogs member Mary Beth Smith had this to say when nominating it, and I'm going to let that speak for the piece. Mike's story about his friend Tom is heartbreaking, beautiful, hilarious, disgusting, cathartic, etc., etc. It is art. He made people cry with laughter before making them cry with sadness. I will not soon forget his words upon sitting down that he just felt like he could share it at this show and with these people. It was such a high compliment, and the warm reception proved him right. As the theme of today's show goes, I say thanks to Tom Hanks. From Big to Splash to Toy Story, Philadelphia, Road to Perdition, eh. The Money Pit, two weeks, two more weeks, Saving Private Ryan, Sleepless in Seattle, and of course, Forrest Gump. Tom Hanks' movies are the stories of our lives, taking on challenging topics and presenting them to audiences in such a way that they can laugh and cry and better understand themselves and intense subject matter they did not know before. Uh, So, we trust Tom Hanks because in the movies, he's always our friend. You've got a friend in me. (laughs) Sidebar. I did not masturbate until a week before I turned 21 years old. (laughs) 
My underwear drawer was a St. Valentine's Day massacre of wet dreams. It was appalling. Okay, so I was, I am a homosexual, and I know I'm not dressed like it, but I, but I am. Take my word for it. Number twos are very easy for me. So in any case, I was uncomfortable with my sexuality as a young boy, so I decided to not be sexual at all. Thus, I did not masturbate for a long time. Hold on to your seats, it gets worse. So... So, one of my very best friends in the entire world is a man named Dr. Thomas Ludwig Menick. How gay is he? (laughs) He was a William Blake scholar at The Ohio State University and my very best friend in the entire world. A week before my 21st birthday, Tom decided that enough was enough. He was taking me to a gay strip club called The Full Monty. That's right. It was called The Full Monty. It looked like a Spencer's Gifts with gay strippers from the local Y. So Tom gave me a fistful of dollars, and I sat down, and the strippers, one by one, came up and gave me lap dances. I gave them money, then afterwards, I shook their hands, sat them down next to me, and asked them about their future career aspirations. (laughs) Tom turned to me and said, I don't think that's how it works, Mike. Alas, I was a failure at the lap dance. So we got back into Tom's van, and he told me this was a complete and utter disaster. So I'm giving you an assignment right now. The moment you get into your apartment, you're going to masturbate, and you're going to call me and prove it, because this is stupid as shit. You're 21 years old. Stop it. So... I got home, and I went upstairs, and I unlocked my door, and I walked into the bathroom, because masturbating's like peeing, I guess. <laughs> and so I pulled down my pants, and I sat down, and I leaned my head back, and I started raw rubbing on my cock. <laughs> Now, my dick was not happy with me. I was not happy with my Johnson. And things weren't going well. So, I decided to use some lotion because I had seen some movies and that seemed effective. So, I squirted a whole lot of lotion. A ton of lotion. Like a hardcore case of eczema, nasty lotion. My dick and balls were like a swamp by the time I was through. It was a mess. So I had to get a towel and dry it off because it was going nowhere. Finally, I was able to conjure up an interesting image of Ryan Philippi, and I got an erection. Who would have thought? And after quite a bit of work around the rim of the head of my penis, I blew like a scud missile. Well, now that that was done, I picked up my phone, pants still around my ankles, and I called up Tom and I said, 
fine, fucker. I did it. I masturbated. And he said, how many times? And I said, once. And he said, uh, end of sidebar. (laughs) (laughs) Movies have a beginning and an end. But we love Tom Hanks movies because they leave an indelible mark on us. And that's why we love and relate to them. (laughs) Well, this past fall, my Tom died. And I'll never talk to him again. And words cannot describe how much that's destroyed a little part of me and how lonely I feel to lose my best friend. He's responsible for all the good things about me. And I'm so glad Tom left so much with me. So I want to leave you all with Tom's favorite poem. He didn't want a funeral, but fuck you, I'm getting away with it anyway. (laughs) This is written by William Blake, who he was a scholar of, one of the foremost scholars in the world. It was written in the early 1800s, and in short, is about the Industrial Revolution and times forever changing. And did those feet in ancient time walk upon England's mountain grain? And was the holy Lamb of God on England's pleasant pastures seen? And did the continents divine shine forth upon our clouded hills? And was Jerusalem builded here among these dark satanic mills? Bring me my bow of burning gold. Bring me my arrows of desire. Bring me my spear, O clouds unfold. Bring me my chariots of fire. I will not cease from mental fight, nor shall my sword slip in my hand. Till we have built Jerusalem in England's green and pleasant land. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Our last story comes from Faith D'Amato, who took the stage when I went out to L.A. for vacation and a show a few months ago. Faith's Chicago-based brother, James, has been on our Best of podcast before. I guess storytelling just runs in their family. Uh, This is an incredibly touching story about Faith's relationship with her mother, with science, and with trying to find a little bit of magic in the world. It's a beautiful piece that will stay with you. In a night full of standout stories, I don't think I'll ever forget this one. Um, so I've been an artist my entire life, and my tastes have always edged towards to fiction and fantasy, and I love the concept of magic, the idea that problems can be solved and dreams can come true with the flick of a wand or the perfectly worded uh, wish on the perfect dandelion. When I was little, I sort of looked at scientists like that jerk who spoils your favorite TV show or tells you how that amazing magic trick is done. And though I did find it interesting, I was, uh, there was a large part of me that resented science for taking away the magic in my life. A notable example of this was when I learned about the physics of flight. Uh, intellectually, I was aware that a 700,000 pound jet probably wasn't flying with main reindeer magic, but I was really distraught to find out that the 700,000 pound jet is flying because it's pushing down on air. That's fucking upsetting. <laughs> So, as I'm sure you can imagine, my relationship with science has always been built on shaky ground. But lately, I've been thinking a lot about science and what it's done for me. Uh, To explain my fascination, we'll have to go back to April of 2015. 
Uh, my mother, who is my favorite person in the world, was on a trip with uh, visiting one of my cousins in London. And I was jealous that she was there because it's one of my favorite cities. And I was also annoyed that she was far away because it meant that I would be missing my daily phone calls for over a week. Uh, this is a habit that I started back in college when I was there, and I was really unhappy. So something that was born out of frustration became one of my daily highlights. Uh, it also strengthened my relationship with my mother. And since we were both strong-willed, very stubborn people, we tended to clash when I was growing up. And when you mix in the hormones from middle school and high school, it's no surprise that me moving a thousand miles away was one of the best things that happened for us. Um, you know, I had matured, and uh, our time together was far more precious. I was able to actually appreciate her wisdom, and our relationship became more even. We talk so often now that our conversations often end with, okay, I'm bored of you now. Love you. Talk to you tomorrow. And I, at the time, was going through a breakup with my first love, and I was missing my voice of reason. Though, in retrospect, any single one of my friends could have told me I should have dumped this asshole. Um, I wanted to hear it from her. Anyway, because of her trip, and I had been relegated to communicating over WhatsApp, and quite frankly, as her child, I feel endowed by birth to her constant attention. Uh, a few days into the trip, while she was in Paris, I got a call from my dad saying that she was in the hospital because she was having trouble breathing. He said that she was probably going to be fine, but despite all of our positive thoughts, we were told a few days later that she had cancer. The next few weeks were really confusing and frustrating. My favorite person was stuck on the other side of the world. And I was here in Los Angeles, unable to do anything useful. It was maddening. When she was finally able to make it back from Paris to Colorado, my brother and I went out to see her. It was a really painful trip, but it was really beautiful. Getting to love someone with a real and true appreciation of mortality is a really amazing experience. Only the important things are said and only the important things are done. My brother and I had her take us through step by step how to make her meatballs and how to make her lasagna. She and I lied in bed together and we talked about everything. We talked about death and how she wasn't nervous to leave my brother and I because she knew that we would be okay. And she's right. She and my father did an amazing job raising us, and they also set us up with an incredible support system by way of our family. After I returned to L.A. Um, and several tests later, we found out that my mom was a candidate for a drug that would make the cancer in her system inactive. The mutation which the drug responds to is only present in 7% of people with her type of cancer. Some scientists in a lab somewhere worked tirelessly to make it. They have studied this type of cancer further and created another drug that will attack the most likely mutation of the cancer. These doctors and patients spent years testing it to give people like my family a little bit more time with the people that they love. With the medicine, the best possible outcome is more time. Death is unfortunately a bittersweet inevitability of life. It will always feel unfair when the people are taken from us too soon. As of last Tuesday, we got word that my mother's cancer had mutated 
and the drug that she's on is no longer working. Though I hope that she is a candidate for this next drug, and I hope this next drug keeps her around for a very long time, the truth is that I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm angry, and I'm sad because this was supposed to be our solution. This was supposed to be over. I was supposed to be able to stop worrying about whether or not my mother is going to be at my wedding one day. But the truth is, no matter how it works out, one day I will lose my mom. But the truth is also this. There are doctors in France and in Boston and in Colorado and scientists scattered all over the country that helped me get at least another year and a half of calling her every day and telling her that I love her. I'm so thankful for every day that these people, many of them complete strangers, have given me. And because of these strangers, tomorrow I'm going to call my mom and I'm going to tell her that I was on one of her favorite podcasts. And then we'll get bored of each other, and we'll say I love you, and we'll hang up. And when I think of that, although I'm still completely troubled by the concepts of flight, for the first time in my life, it feels like science is giving me the thing that I've always wanted. A little bit of magic. Thank you. Okay, that's it. End of the road. Why did I put that song up front? Uh, anyway, we'll be back next week with our very special Best of Five Years episode. But first, we had to leave you with just one more song. In the past couple months, our merry band of musicians has lost two members, and Claire Friedman, who moved to New York, and Jim Snedeker, who's taking time to work on his own music. Both are great reasons to leave, but we really love and miss them. And this song that you're about to hear kind of stands as a testament to the best part about playing with these guys, which is that they're just great people and we're all friends, uh, even with Dwight's silly impressions that you're going to hear in a second here. So thank you for listening, everybody. Here's to a great 2017. Uh, shit, what else should I say? Oh, yeah, so once again, this is Jim, Claire, and Dwight, and I really love being up here with these guys. They're all such fucking great musicians can, can and I people. Can I say something, Eric? You can. I just want to say, guys, from the, from the bottom of my heart, truly... Follow me on Twitter, because I have eight followers. <laughs> <laughs> From the bottom of Jim's bottom heart. Of my heart. It's at James Jr. Music. It's, it's JR. Is it JR? Oh, okay, JR. So Jim, actually, he he's only with us about half the time. He's working on an album of original stuff while like raising a family. And he posts new videos every week, and his songs are really, really good. So check out yeah. his originals. Um, that's much more serious than the clownery we're doing up here. <laughs> and with that said, I don't know how this is going to go. I wonder what, I wonder what voice Dwight's going to pull out here in a second. I have a pretty good idea. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. Uh, cool. So this is from, uh, I mean... I love these guys, like I said. How do we not do this? You got a friend in me. Yep. You got a friend in me. When the road looks up ahead and miles and miles when your life won't bend. You just remember what your old pal said. Boy, you got a friend You 
trouble Oh, I got them too There isn't anything that I wouldn't do You, we stick together and see it through Cause you got a friend in me Oh, you got a friend in me Other folks might be a little bit taller than I am Bigger, stronger too Maybe As the years go by, our friendship will never die. You're gonna see it's our destiny, cause you got a friend in me. You got a friend in me. Oh, you got a friend in me. Yeah, you. Your Stories is a proud part of the Chicago Podcast Co-op. If you enjoy Your Stories, you might also like making new friends. Each week, Pat invites new and old friends into a studio where anything can happen. Former guests include murderers, ghosts, milkmen, centaurs, and that nice fellow who lives down the street. For more information, go to peachesandhotsauce.com. This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash nerdalogs to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.